Here's another life hack. Turn your video on, your phone on silent when you're shooting a video, right? <laughs> hey, good morning, Calvary. How are you? Thanks for coming in this morning. Some of you came at 8.30. We apologize um, about the com- communication. We did the best we could getting it out. But we are so glad that you are here. And thank you for being a part of this. We're doing a series called Life Hack. And a life hack for those of you who weren't here is a way, we're calling it, is a way to follow Jesus that is not a cure-all or an easier way, but rather a simple way to apply the characteristics of Christ in our life. Or in other words, it's a way to cut out the noise of this world in order to maintain our focus on a living a life to the fullest for Christ. Do you want to live a life to the fullest of Christ? You see, we believe around here that followers follow Jesus. And as you follow Jesus, there is a better way to live. And as you follow him, then the the question is, do you want to find the better way to live? Are you willing to do what he asks? Are you willing to go and follow him as he asks you to follow? And this is a question, when I was a college minister, I got it all the time. And I'll get it some from still at this world. But here's the question we get, is what happens when God asks us to go against culture? Or in other words, why does God ask us to go against culture? But that's really the wrong question. Here's the right question. Why does the culture go against God? Because you see, we believe that when you follow God, he's going to lead you to the better way. So I want to do this, and and perhaps the best example I know of this that, that talks about this is this idea of marriage. And today's life hack is talking about God's intention for marriage. Now let me just tell you, in our world... Marriage has many different ideas. There are people who don't even want to get married anymore. They just say it's, it's an outdated system and that kind of stuff. The idea of marriage is confusing, but we believe as followers of Jesus that marriage is sacred. That marriage is between a man and a woman. And if you want more information, I'm not going that direction today on that topic. Feel free to email me and I'll send you a great link to a video that I saw this week. But one of the things I want you to hear and understand as you talk about this is we believe that marriage is sacred, that it represents God's bond with the church. Now, if you're single in this room, you're not married, maybe you've been divorced, I want you to know that this lesson, this sermon still applies to you. And we are glad that you are here. And the Bible says it talks about it's good to be single. It's great to be single. So we're not elevating marriage above single status. Is that very clear? But what we do want you to hear through this process is that marriage shows the example of how Christ relates to the church. And so we have something to learn through this. And if this is how Christ relates to the church, then maybe, just maybe, we should practice this for those of us that are married or those of us that want to get married. Does that make sense too? So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read a passage out of Ephesians. But before I read a passage out of Ephesians, I want to set Ephesians up. Because there are different chapters and different books in the Bible. And they were written for different purposes and different reasons. There is the church of Corinth that Paul writes. We talked about that last week. Very specific issues to the church of Corinth. Because that church was a mess. A gigantic and enormous mess. But the book of Ephesians wasn't just written and intended for the book of Ephesus. I don't believe that. I believe that the book of Ephesians was called that because it was written to a community of churches in Ephesus. So the book of Ephesians, of all the letters that Paul wrote, there he wrote 13 of them in the New Testament, in case you don't know that. I believe he wrote 13 of them in the New Testament. Let me qualify. When he does that, when he writes them, the book of Ephesians is the most applicable across the broad scope of things because he wasn't writing to a specific church addressing a specific problem. Make sense? 
So the first three chapters are the doctrine. And the last three chapters of Ephesians are the application. So we're going to talk about the application. Why? Because we're doing life hacks. That's the application. And as you're looking into this, and he's going to talk about marriage, I want to set it up by not starting where most of you think I'm going to start if you know the Bible. I want you to look in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 21. Because Paul has just addressed the people in Ephesus saying, hey, if you're going to follow God, I want you to realize that you have to do what he says. You have to go and be obedient. In other words, if you call yourself a follower of Christ, follow him. And here's how he says this. Pay careful attention then how you walk. Not as unwise people, but as wise. Making the most of the time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless actions, but be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Singing and making music. We just did that, right? And give your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for everything and then to God the Father. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. And I love this because he's, he's writing all of these people in this region. And he's basically saying, you know what? I need you to understand if you're following Jesus, you're going to glorify him. You're going to praise him. You're going to seek unity. You're going to sing the, seek the things in the nature of God. And the way that you seek unity as a group of believers is to submit to one another in the fear of Christ. Now, wars have been waged over whether verse 21 goes with verse 22 or whether or not it doesn't. Wars have been waged. And let me just tell you my very strong opinion. It does. Which one? Both. Which one does it go with? Both. Because as Christians, our job is to love. We talked about that last week. Remember Life Hack? If you weren't here last week, you can go to CalvaryBC.net, listen to the sermon last week. It's there. And if we're to love people, the very idea of loving people is I'm willing to lay aside what I think is best for me for the sake of those around me. Do you get that? Because if you don't get that, you're not going to like the rest of the sermon. And as we submit and lay ourselves aside for the betterment of what God asks us to do across the board. Let's be really transparent with each other. The church hasn't always done this well. We've gone to church looking for our needs to be met. We've gone to church desiring what we want. We've gone to church. We've been in our communities hoping to feel good and leave uh, listening the songs I like and the way I want to do. And let's dress the way I want to dress. And let's, let's do all of these things. And there's a place for those conversations. And we want to make the environment comfortable. And we want you to love the songs, right? But it's not about you. And if we view Christianity as a consumeristic product to be absorbed, then we have missed the point of what Christ has come to do for us. And somewhere along the lines, your faith needs to grow into realizing that the obligation you have is to follow Jesus and to stop trying to make it about you. And the beautiful picture of this is when we do this, we, we start to represent Christ's love for the church. In other words, we start looking more like Jesus. 
So the next chapter and a half, he talks about different various roles that people make from children to, to issues of work, that, all those things. And he dives from that starting point of submit to one another in fear of the Christ. And then he starts talking about marriage. But before we go any farther, the word submission, everyone hates. Who hates it? Everyone. You know why? Because I want to do what I want to do. So let me define submission. Because this is Daniel Berry's. You're not going to find this in a dictionary. This is Daniel Berry's uh, Greek standard version of the definition of submission. Submission is grace-filled respect. Grace-filled respect. We're going to come back to that. With that in the background, let me read to you the idea of marriage. Ephesians 5, 22 through 24. We're going to start with the ladies. Wives. And yes, that word is wife, not women, wives. Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of the body. Now as the church submits to Christ, so wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. I'm not going to go behind stage and run. (laughs) Okay, let me be very transparent here. This is a difficult subject to talk about. First of all, I know I'm a man. I don't need you to point that out, right? Second of all, I've never been a wife. Thirdly, I don't want to be a wife. Fourthly, I'm just trying to teach you what the scripture says. Is that fair enough? So when we do this and look at this, I want you to understand, ladies, part of the reason this is a struggle is because the men have failed. Can I, can I be honest with you? And guys, let me just talk to you. I'm not talking just about this generation. I'm talking about generations. Men who have treated their wives as consumers, much like we treat the church. Who wouldn't want someone to take care of their kids? Do all of the laundry. Be there for physical needs. There's kids in the room, so you're going to let you imply a little in there as you want. Who wouldn't want someone to be available to do whatever you ask them to do and to make sure the house runs smoothly? Who wouldn't want that? The problem is that's not what they were supposed to do. You know, how do I know that? You know why marriage is sacred? Because men and women were image bearers of God. How do I know that? Genesis 1, 26 and 27, or just verse 27 says, so God created man in his own image. So he created him in the image of God. He created them male and Female. Women and men are image bearers of God. And anything that takes people away from being an image bearer of God is not only bad, it's against treating people as the dig- with the dignity that they were made to carry. And if men, if you get married for the purpose of being a consumer, if you treat the woman you're dating as something to be had and used, you have failed the image of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And in a Me Too world, it happens far too often. Is that not right? I struggle sometimes getting into social issues. There's times I want to rail on Facebook, but I always want to point people back to Jesus, and I don't want to be known as the social guy. I want to be known as the guy who talks about Jesus. But there's times when Jesus has to stand up and say, 
this is wrong. It is. And men, we need to be the men we need to be so that women can be the women that God has made them to be. Ladies, we're going to come back to you. Say, that was easy. (laughs) Good. Because this is a lot more about getting you a good Valentine's present and talking to the men today, okay? (laughs) I'm going to come back to ladies in a little bit. But I would do a couple real quick points. By the way, I have less slides this week because I was sick and didn't get the slides in. So let me just catch you up. What, I do want to point out this. Three things about the women right there before I go on. It, it says, okay, it is wives, not women to men. We get that, right? All right, just want to throw that out there. I, I want you to realize that psychology and sociology lends to this pattern. How do I know that? This was my minor. This is what my major was. And I'm going to come explain this a little more as I talk about the men. But let me just say this one thing that my professor said, and this is true, because I do counseling. I've done enough counseling. Talk to Reggie, who's done a lot of this, and I can tell you this is true. You want to know how a marriage goes? When the couple comes in, men are the thermostat and women are the thermometer in the relationship. When a couple comes in, I can tell how the marriage is going by walking and looking at the wife. How's the marriage going? She's going to tell you. (laughs) Man, it's fine. And if you can remember that men, you are the thermostat and that women are the thermometer, generalities are generally wrong, right? But far, far more often than not, this holds true. And the third thing is, I want you to hear, and ladies, I think this is important because this is something I've known, noticed, and I've heard enough women talk to me, and I've heard enough women come into my office and talk to my wife and talk to other women who have come to me and saying, how do I handle this? Women desperately want their men to not be lazy, sit on the couch, do nothings. Is that right, ladies? It's okay. Let's have a loud amen from the ladies. Let's just embrace the awkwardness of this. One, two, three. Amen. All the men were like, oh. <laughs> but let me just tell you something. I think you need to understand, ladies, if a man isn't leading, he's probably doing nothing. Because that's the way God wired him to be. So I want to talk to the men now. Can we just do that? Let's read what the scripture says. In Ephesians 5, 25 through 31. Men, I got bad news for you. Women had a much shorter passage than what the Bible says to you. Here's what it says. Husbands, love your wives. That's a command, by the way. Just as Christ loved the church. I can stop right there. Just as Christ loved the church. That's easy, right? And gave himself for her. To make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of the water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it, just as Christ does for the church, since we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Easy. Not so much. What does it mean to become one flesh? Because I think this is a a very important point, okay? Men, becoming one flesh 
is not just a physical act, but it is intimacy. Genesis chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Adam was intimate with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. Now, what does that mean? Is that just a physical action that produces a baby? No, that is not just a physical action that produces a baby. If you've been around here long enough, you've heard me say this. Intimacy comes at four levels. And in every aspect of your life, you need to understand without this, you are not going to have a successful marriage. The four levels are as follows. Once again, I don't have slides. I was sick. I would explain how I was sick, but I don't think you want to know that. So just go with it, okay? Four levels of intimacy. Here's what they are. Emotional intimacy. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know what makes the other person tick, breathe, move. Ladies, they may need a little help knowing what that is. Not all of them. Some of them. Okay? Physical intimacy. Now, I'm going to save myself a little time because we've covered this before, but I want you, if you know, this is your Valentine's gift from me to you. A lot of couples come into our office. They'll come into Reggie's office and they'll say, we're having problems, right? And I'll say, what are your, what's your problem? Well, all he wants is physical intimacy. And he'll go, well, all she wants to do is talk. I don't want to talk. And so what I would say is, you know what happens is God has geared most women to be emotionally driven and most men to be physically driven. And the time that a man will feel most emotionally connected with you, lady, is, ladies, is when you are physically intimate. And the time that he will want to talk the most is after you've been physically intimate with him. But guys, I got a news for you. She will be more physically intimate with you if you listen to her talk. I just saved myself a lot of premarital counseling. (laughs) And isn't it neat that when you give yourself away, you get? But you can't give yourself away to get. Men, they're smarter than that. I can dog them in because I is one, right? And yes, I know that's bad grammar. I did that on purpose. So what I would say is, okay, there's two levels of intimacy, but there's two other levels of intimacy. Intellectual intimacy. Intellectual intimacy is very important. Intellectual intimacy is caring what the other person cares about. It's, it's having conversations that are more than just about, I love love, right? It's we have this in common. We're pursuing the things, the nature, and the characteristic of God. And all of these are bound together through the fourth level of intimacy, which is spiritual intimacy. You see, you aren't always going to feel like giving those other levels of intimacy away. But when you chase after the nature of God and see what he has done for you, then you're willing to pursue those as you go forward. So what is Adam lay with Eve and they conceived Adam knew Eve and they it's knowing all there is to know about the other person, which is why we believe that you should wait to have sex. Can I say that word until marriage? Because that's what God wants you to do. It's knowing all there is to know all those levels of intimacy. Now, let me just qualify this. Everybody has junk in their past. They have sins in their past. And God doesn't want you to wear a big scarlet letter. Right? My job isn't to make you feel guilty. My, God, my job is to help you follow Jesus from this day forward better. So everybody just breathe. Because if I were to poll the number of people in this room who have transgressions in their past, it would be far more than don't. God loves us anyways. Isn't that good news? Oh, y'all, y'all can do better than that. Isn't that good news? Amen. All right. Everybody's like, if I say amen, am I guilty? I don't know. <laughs> so here's what we're going to do. Okay, now we're going to go. We've just read this passage, and I want to talk to you. Now we're going to gear it up, and I'm going to give guys the life hack. Okay, we're going to start with the life hack for the men, okay? Here are four Ps 
that this will be the greatest Valentine's gift you could give your wife. Four P's, life hacks, that men can practice in order to be godly husbands. Those are my small group. You already know it. I'm going to quiz you later. If you really don't get it after covering this twice, you're in trouble. Okay, here's the first one. Husbands are to pursue as Christ pursued the church. Pursue. Pursue means you go after. What did, what did Jesus do? Did he just sit up in the sky and go, oh, look, maybe I'm waiting for them to come to me. No, he came down on earth and chased after you by willing to die and sacrifice his life on the cross. He was willing to pour it out all on the line. There's a reason you don't find too many commercials with the woman proposing to the man. Not that that's wrong. But what you do find is that God has made men to want to pursue what? Not just physical intimacy, but emotional, spiritual, intellectual intimacy. Pursue. And this could be the greatest Valentine's gift you can give your wife. Because you're probably, guys, going to give your wife a gift. And let me give you a little clue. Don't give her a crock pot just because you got teary over a crock pot burning last week, okay? (laughs) That doesn't work. Pursuit means, and ladies, you can help them understand this, that a gift is something that says you get me at an intimate level. You want me. Ladies, don't don't you like that idea? Show you care. Pursue. The second one is protect. How do we know protect? Because as it says there in verse 25, husbands love your wife just as Christ loved the church. He came down for us and he gave himself for her. Now protect. Men, a lot of times we think, okay, I got the gun. I'm ready to go. I don't own a gun because I am clumsy and would shoot myself. But just being truthful. What I would tell you is about this, okay, is let's just play this out. I don't need anybody to protect me. Okay, if you're married and someone breaks into the house, how often, unless your wife is a police officer, are you going to sit there and even then, I don't know, are you going to sit there and go, babe, would you go get this because I would, I'm a little scared. (laughs) So honey, would you get up? And um, I'm going to hide under the sheets while you go figure out if there's a noise. We lived in the BCM at University of Georgia, which was this monstrous building. And my wife, one time, we were newlyweds. She said, go out and check the building. And I'm like, check the building? I don't... So I walked around that building with a baseball bat thinking, if there's someone here, I'm running. You know, I don't know what I'm doing. But I did it. Why? Because I wanted my wife to feel secure. And guys, protection isn't just physical protection. It's protecting the emotional intimacy. It's protecting the spiritual intimacy. We will be at church. There's a reason that if men say to their wives, we are going to church, they go. It just happens. Not always, but usually. The statistics say. Protecting that we're going to have devotions as a family. Protecting that we're going to pray together as a family. We're going to do all that things. Protecting means I'm going to make sure that you feel secure in who you are as an image bearer of the son, as a daughter of the king. How you doing that? It's more than just giving her a nice little Valentine's gift and saying you look pretty every now and then. It's making sure she feels beautiful at every level because she is a daughter of the king. Men are to pursue and they are to protect and they are to provide. Look in verse uh, 28. 
In the same way husbands are to love their wives as their own body, he who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hates his own flesh, but provides for it and cares for it. Now this idea of provision is found in other parts in the Bible, but I'm going to extrapolate it out of this passage because that's where we are. Okay? The idea of provision does not mean you need to make more money than she does. Just doesn't. So what is provision? It's not just a paycheck. And I, once again, saving a lot of counseling time, people come in and go, I, I don't know what else she wants from me. I give her a paycheck. Thank you. I'm sure that's what she wants all in life is just a paycheck. When you are providing for her, you're saying, we will be okay. We're going to make it. And, you know, I hope I'm here for a long time, but if something happened in the, down the road and something weird happened and I no longer was in this role and didn't have a job, my wife does know that I would work at McDonald's three shifts a day to make sure there's food on our table. It's not beneath me. I'm going to take care of my family. And when my boys are struggling, my wife doesn't have to carry the burden of feeling like I'll, I'm the one that has to do it all. My wife knows I'm going to be a man and stand up and try to provide some emotional stability in my house. Not that I do it perfect. So providing is saying I'm going to be what my family needs me to be. Feeling like it's a little heavy in here, men? Good. Because I got the fourth P. Not only are we to pursue, protect, provide, we're to pray. To pray. We are to pray leading them to Jesus. Marriage in the church and marriage outside the church, it's been a while since I've shared the statistic, but marriage in the church has the same divorce rate as it does outside the church based on the last statistics I saw, which granted are about three years old, with exception of one thing. The couple that prays together hardly ever gets divorced. And I'm not just talking about God is great, God is good, let us thank him for this food, amen. I'm talking grab her hand and pray with her. Let her pray. Ask her to pray. But pray with her. Because if you pray together, there's something, you know how hard it is to stay mad at somebody when you're praying with them? You know how hard it is to, to not figure out the problems that are life are going when you're praying together? God asks us as men, I'm going to say it, to lead. But you are to lead as the lead, wait for it, servant. Now let me, let me just throw this out. Ladies, if you like this, would you just kind of say amen on that one? Some of you are like, I don't know yet. Wouldn't it be nice to be married to a man who is the lead servant, who doesn't ever put his intentions before yours, who never tries to think about what I want is more important than what everyone else wants, who's willing to sacrifice, who's willing to lay himself down, who's willing to go where no one else wants to go? So guys, the life hack for you is to pursue, protect, and provide, and pray. And then I want to come back and talk now about the women's life hack. Look in Ephesians 5, 32 through 33. It says, how does this work? I don't know. The mystery is profound, but I am talking about Christ and the church. 
Wait, you just talk about marriage. Talk about Christ the church. It's representative of that. To sum up, each one of you is to love his wife as himself because that's what love is. You're willing to do whatever it takes to make this work. And the wife is to respect her husband. So I had four life hacks for the men. Ladies, let me give you one life hack for your life. Respect your husband. So what does that mean? Grace-filled respect. Submission is grace-filled respect. Respect means you realize grace is important because you realize he's not going to be perfect. Why? Because there's one who's perfect. His name was Jesus, your husband, and perfect. And if you wait for him to make a mistake, it will take you all of about two minutes because you're married to a man. But let me tell you something. You want to destroy your marriage, you nag him. You tell him he's not good enough for you. You belittle him and tell him all the ways he's failed you. But if you can practice grace-filled respect, it doesn't mean that you don't occasionally go, hey, can you work on this baby? Doesn't mean you don't go, come on, we can do this. But if you can walk beside him and show him respect, a man who feels respect will run through a brick wall without a helmet on because we're dumb just to impress you. So the way this works out is, ladies, you have to respect him not only at home, but wait for it, with the other women. You can't go to your group of girls and badmouth husbands. That's not good. And the church doesn't thrive when our women get together and do it. I'm not saying that happens here. I honestly don't know what you women talk about because I'm not there. But let me just talk to you real briefly because, once again, I'm a man. I don't know what I'm doing that much. But when it comes to a woman, I'm not a wife, you know, that kind of thing. But let me just say this to you, ladies. And one thing I would encourage you to do, what does this look like? I don't know. Talk to the other women. Because women hold each other accountable works a whole lot better than me trying to hold you accountable because I can't do it. And let me just tell you something else. Submission is always voluntary. So the moment a man asks you to submit, he's not asking you to submit anymore. He's asking you to follow him blindly, which is a form of slavery in a sense. I use that word with fear and trepidation, but that's what it is. Submission is voluntary. It's a willful saying, I want to go. Now, why would we do this? <laughs> because this is counterculture. This is counterproductive. It, it's a little difficult for me to talk about at times, honestly. It's, it's not really what I always want to talk about, but except for this one thing, it works. It works because this is the way God ordained it. It works because there's stuff that is psychological. Even the way that men and women think is so different. Have you noticed that? Men have a space called a nothing space. It's true. We can actually not think about anything. What are you thinking about? Nothing. I, I don't believe you because you don't have a nothing space because the way that your brain is hardwired, this is the way psychology works. If you look and you put the, the electrodes and all those things and you go watch, men's brains go in left space or right space. They're in the left hemisphere or the right hemisphere. And women's brains go bing, 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 like a pinball machine gone bankrupt. You know, I don't know. It's crazy. And the way that works is that God put it together so that we could fulfill what it looks like to be the image of in a relationship with him. God is not masculine, but he's not feminine either. And in the beautiful picture of a marriage that's practiced well, you see the full representation of God because God has both feminine characteristics and masculine characteristics. And it takes both image bearers to the fullest. 
There is not one that is above the other and not one is below. But when God made man in the garden, he said, go and do these things. And then he put together with him a person out of his side, a woman who is a completion of man. So guess what that means? Man, you're the completion of woman. And it's a beautiful thing when it's practiced well. Because the ultimate purpose of a marriage is to draw each other closer to God. Did you get that? And you can't do it if you're selfish. You just can't. And the beautiful thing is Christ showed us this love when he was willing to die on a cross for us. And he showed us what it looks like to be a follower. When he followed the Father and he was God, And he said, I'm going to protect you and I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to pursue you and I'm going to give you all of me. So come to me. And if this doesn't make sense to you, I get it. Because what we talk about in Discovering Calvary is this is a protective issue. But what I want you to hear is the foundation is a relationship with Jesus. And when you find him, you're willing to go, I trust in you even though I don't understand. I trust in you even though it's counterculture. I trust in you because this is what you want me to go. And so I want you to understand and I want you to hear that God loves you. The church doesn't need any more chauvinistic, self-righteous, I'm better than you people. It needs men and women who are willing to submit to the wills and the ways of God. Willing to fight the culture of, I get what I want. And willing to follow the example of Christ who laid down his life so that others might find their dignity. So if you've never had dignity, I want you to know that Christ died for you today. And you can receive him by saying, come into my life. And we want to talk to you about this at Discovering Calvary tonight. Or you can go out to the next step space right after the service. And find out more what it means to be a follower of Jesus. That's where it starts. For the rest of us, our Monday morning application is this. Submit to one another. Being the best husband or wife you can be. Say, I'm single. Right. Become the man or woman that you need to be that somebody would want to marry if you want to get married. If you don't feel called to be married, become the friend. Become the person that God wants you to be. Because this is the beautiful image of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Can we do that? Okay, guys, I love you. I love you enough to say the hard truth sometimes. I love you to show you that there is a better way and his name is Jesus. So let's follow him together, all right? Father, I thank you for this time. And I ask that you show us what it means to be a follower of you. God, draw us into more of your presence, your image. Make us more like you, the sons and the daughters who are desperate to find hope and identity. Forgive us, God, when we're consumerists of other people. When we're consumers in the church instead of really, really pausing and celebrating and exalting you for who you are. God, make us more like you, image bearers, and live a life that we are called to live. In your holy and precious name we pray. Amen.